hope your heart lights up when you hear the word treasures. It's like one of those words like the word delight. It just sounds amazing. It cheers your heart up. Um, I love treasures for many ways, but treasures spark your imagination, especially kids. They bring back that childhood dream of uh, maps, hidden tress, gold, and gems. In fact, not just children, but adults do as well. I know that we as adults, when we hear the word treasure, we often think of kind of the Pirates of the Caribbean, kind of that, that scene. And uh, I want to challenge you guys with this. this is what do, you, what do you treasure today? And uh, I've noticed as I age, and as I'm sure you all age, you start to treasure stuff less, and you start to treasure people more. And then you start to treasure memories of people And it's just amazing, as time goes on, each year, it just feels like my value of people and relationships just starts to grow over time. And stuff just feels like stuff. So today, um, we're going to be talking about treasures. This is born out of, actually, my own personal devotional time. And I don't know if you guys have ever uh, heard of it, but Moody Bible Institute puts out Today in the Word. Does anybody read Today in the Word? Okay, I want to encourage you, um, God has used it in my life, I love it for its simplicity and direct biblical content, it's free through the Moody Bible Institute, started getting this back when I graduated some almost 15 years ago now, and uh, it's just a real blessing, like, like I said, it's not fancy, no frills, but it's direct biblical content, and um, a few months back, they took an entire month to talk about treasures in the Bible, And there are two particular passages this month that actually really spoke to me and God really just met me where I was. And so today we're going to be looking at both those passages because they were challenges on how I think about treasures. And there are kind of angles I'd never really thought through before. And so, but it's been there, it's nothing new, but I just wanted to share those with you today. So if you need a pen, there's a bucket in the back, that's for you to to grab a pen and uh, uh, to be able to write in. But just to kind of start our time off today, we're going to be talking through the basics, uh, the basic facts about treasures, okay? So what I'm going to share right up front here, it's not revolutionary, it's not even directly from the Bible, but just kind of basically, there's a few things from the Bible, but basic facts about treasure. So you can write it in there. If you have a pen, just in that box up above, that opens blank space, number one, let's just establish the fact that treasures are valuable, okay? Treasures are valuable. Um, over time, treasures become more valuable. How many of you guys have seen the Antique Roadshow? Come on, you know it. And that person, you know the unfolding is going to be where somebody has something they've had from grandma or grandpa or hidden somewhere, and this, their jaw drops in amazement of the value of this thing. And we've all heard of the Spider-Man comic that was 12 cents 50 years ago, and it's now $12,000, and you all know what I'm talking about. Okay. And uh, we see in Scripture that actually when... In the series that Pastor Sid is in with Ezra, when foreign kings came in and took over Israel, one of the very first things they did was they went into the temple and looted the holy things because there was value. There was treasure. Their treasures were valuable. So, fact number one, treasures are valuable. Fact number two, treasures are often hidden. You can just write it in there. Treasures are often hidden. Uh, I was reading back a few months ago about this idea of the Fen treasure. Has anybody heard of the Fen treasure? Forrest Fen, he's a modern art dealer, but some consider him to be kind of the modern Indiana Jones. Um, basically, coming out of the 2008 recession, 
to encourage people and keep their hearts up. So he took a few million dollars worth of money and gems, put it in a treasure chest, went out to the Rockies and hid this treasure. He then made a website, and on the website he put a poem, and those are clues on finding the treasure. To be honest with you, there are people who have actually lost their life, who have died looking for this treasure. In 2010, he put it out. And um, let's just say this, we often know that treasures are hidden. We know treasures can be gifts. Treasures can be gifts. Two biblical accounts of gifts in Scripture. Um, when the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, and to honor who he was, his wisdom, and his splendor, the text says she brought a treasure of four and a half tons of gold. That's in 1 Kings 10. That is a treasure. Okay? And we also know in the birth of Christ, we know that the Magi brought the, it says, the treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So treasures can be gifts. We also know that treasures can't buy everything. Job 28 says that treasures cannot buy wisdom. You don't get wisdom through money. In fact, I'll read a few verses from Job 28. It says in verse 18, The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. And where does wisdom come from and where does understanding dwell? God understands the way to it and he alone knows where it dwells. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So, treasures can't buy everything, friends. You've heard it said, money can buy everything. No, it cannot. It cannot buy wisdom. There's no way around it other than the fear of the Lord. We also know, number five, that treasures dictate the direction of your heart. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he knew that wherever you had your investment, your treasures... Your heart's going to follow. That's just, the, it's, it's the law of the harvest. It's a fact of life that what you have your treasure in, your heart will follow as well. And then the last thing I just want to just kind of get straight forward is, is that God gave his greatest treasure in place of mankind. You've heard of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The phrase one and only refers to greatest treasure, okay? One and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we know based upon God sending or giving His greatest, one and only treasure, His Son, we know that human life has value. And so if you call yourself a born-again Christian, you have to value human life. God does. He sent His Son for the redemption of human life. So relationships matter. So today, time does not allow for me to cover this topic comprehensively, but we're going to focus on two passages. I'm not even going to cover these two passages comprehensively. We're going to skim over them very quickly. So if you find yourself frustrated that I just didn't cover everything, please forgive me. There's more in there that you can get, you get into God's Word. I hope you'll get into these passages this week and discover what they say about treasure. I gave it to you right up front as we turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to just say right up front that treasure is God working in us, through us, and around us. And you'll see that written in your outline. It says that treasure is God working in us, through us, and around us. Now, as we look at Luke chapter 2, you probably wouldn't expect that we'd be reading the birth story of Christ in August. 
Because culturally, we just don't do that. But I want to invite you to take off your romantic lenses. Take off your shiny, glimmery perspective of the birth of Christ. Gals in the room, if you've given birth, I want you to actually put yourself in the position of Mary, and I want you to feel the stress and the anxiety, the possibility of stress and anxiety, and all that's really going on. Okay, so we're going to read actually Luke uh, 2, 1 through 20. And again, just take off the shininess and let's just read it for what it says. And let's see what this passage says about treasure. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to, his, her, birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So there is the birth of Christ. And we often miss what exactly the text says is a treasure here. So let's just talk about kind of the who's in the passage and then what is going on. The who is Jesus, the birth of Christ. There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's angels, and there's shepherds. And what is currently going on? Just make some basic observations in the text. There's a census issued. She has to travel in late pregnancy. Okay? Stress, ladies? Okay. Travel late pregnancy. And we all know that we've had those moments or heard of those moments where somebody's in their final couple weeks and they're going, Lord, please, please just help us to get back, right? Mary is pregnant. Chapter 1 says that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and is foretold by this angel, but she's not married yet. So she's not married, which brings on cultural 
stress. She knows she's pregnant, but she's never been with a man. And now she's traveling. And then as they get to town, there's no place to deliver this baby. And we know that babies come when they want to, right? And you have the wonderful treasure of the birth of Christ, the Messiah. You have angels appear to the shepherds announcing the birth. And according to the text, I have reason to believe that on the heels of her giving birth, she's got visitors at the door. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but my wife doesn't want a stack of visitors at the door when she just gives birth to one of our children. So on the heels of a miraculous conception, traveling, delivery in a manger, and having immediate visitors, you have the most unlikely verse. It just I think we gloss over this. It's in verse 19. Mary does something very incredible. And if most of us were honest with ourselves, we'd be stressed out out of our mind that people are knocking on the door. We'd be saying, what now? In verse 19 it says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That is miraculous. Just ponder that for a moment. And all the stress and all the chaos going on, and I assure you, there was a whole lot of stress going on. She had this special moment where she had to trust God. And while she was trusting God, God did something in her life. And God was doing something all around her. Let's not romanticize it and think of Mary as this quiet, calm experience of resting at home, giving birth in the living room, and life is wonderful. She had plenty of reasons to be stressed. And in the text, God is unfolding his plan to save the world, and he's using his servant Mary here to carry the Christ child and deliver. And the question I have is, is how is it in all the stress did Mary take time to treasure up all these things? I think verse 38 in chapter 1, if you look over there, just after she gets the announcement about being pregnant, and she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel explains that you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, this is really the posture she took to this news. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So in a situation where she couldn't control, she didn't ask for, her fundamental posture was, I am a servant of the living God. I am not God, and I am not in control. So she had a very special but hard experience where she had to trust the Lord in a very unique way, and she saw God moving around her. She saw that all was taking place as an act of the Creator. Think that through. When you trust the Lord and submit to Him, it gives you the ability to put on lenses that see that everything is happening for a reason and that I can trust the Creator. And as a result, she was able to see the experience or the joy of carrying the Christ child and she found peace. 
and she found treasure in God working in and through her. So let's apply this. One of the greatest treasures we can ever have is seeing God work in us, through us, and around us. Henry Blackaby says this, God is always at work around us. The question is, will we join him? And we often miss this ability to treasure God's work around us, plain and simply because we're trying to control life around us. I want you to process for me for a minute, with me for a minute, and ponder. How much stress and anxiety and worry do you find yourself in because you've got a tight grip on trying to control life, but in reality, you look in the mirror and you realize you can't control life? To think that God, the divine, interacts with creation, friends, that is a treasure. To think that God could ever use me or you to serve him, that is a treasure. I look in the mirror and realize, Lord, I don't know how and why you allow me the privilege of teaching your word to your people. I sit here and go, that is a treasure that I get to share God's word with you all. In the same way, God is using each of you in your occupations and your stage of life. And that is a treasure to be used by the Lord in whatever season God has you in. It is a wonderful privilege to see God working in us and through us. So I want to give you this question before we go on to the next passage. What things in your life have required faith and you've watched and seen God show up? Last week, Sid ended the sermon with, look back over the last 15 years and talking about spiritual growth. I'd say, look back over the last 15 years, what are some of the hardest things you had to trust God for? And then what did you see God do and shout it from the rooftops about what God is doing and what God has done. It is a privilege and a treasure to be able to share from the past what God has done with the next generation. Folks, this is how we pass on our faith. It is to share what the Lord has done so that the next generation can lean on those things from the past and continue to trust Him and experience God working in and through them. Whatever you do, don't forget how God's been at work. What's been neat is now after, what, 13, 14 years being in relationship here at the church, I have watched God work in your lives. And it is so neat. And I want to encourage you guys, it's not just the pastor's job, but it's actually all of our job to champion and celebrate God's work in each of our lives. So when we see spiritual growth in each other's life, speak that into people's lives. You've grown. You've changed. You've become more like Jesus. So, I want to challenge you to move your treasures away from stuff and into this. Treasure is God working in and through us and around us. Mary was able to treasure up all these things in the middle of chaos. The second way a treasure is this, the greatest treasure of all, you guys can write it in there, is knowing the Lord personally. You guys want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to see that we as humans, made from dust, have the greatest treasure of all inside us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, but the context of verses 7 through 11 is that Paul actually clarified, that's actually 1 through 11, but Paul clarified that the new covenant, or God's way of relating to man, was better than the old 
And the reason it was better than the old, it was powered not by law, but by Christ himself. And so the text we're going to cover in the end of chapter 3 and part of chapter 4, and into chapter 4, we're going to be looking at how do we get this wonderful treasure inside our bodies? Because I'm just going to say it up, straight up. The treasure, the greatest treasure of all is living and moving in our bodies. That may seem very strange to you, but you'll see it in the text. And again, the context is Paul clarifying that this new way of God relating to people through Christ is far superior because it's powered by Christ. So we're going to pick it up in verse 12, and I'm just going to read a few verses and kind of just march down through this and make some observations. Then we'll actually interpret kind of what the text is saying, and then we'll apply it at the end. It says in verses 12 to 15, it says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So in verses 12 to 15, we see that people actually have a veil over their face. This is the posture of which we are born with in relating to God. People don't naturally relate to God. They're broken because of sin, and there's a veil covering their face. And the Old Testament law was never meant to bring people into right relationship with God. According to verse 9, it was actually to bring condemnation. How do we know that we are sinners in violation of a holy God? The Old Testament law. The law shows us where we don't measure up. So nobody was declared righteous in God's sight by the law. And in fact, the posture of everyone in the world is a veil or a cloud or a fog in the way they relate to God. This is why there are so many people attempting to get back to the deity, and yet there are all repackaging ways of trying to work their way back to God or approach it from a law-based approach. Okay? So in verse 16, it talks about how the veil is lifted. It says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when one turns to Christ or looks to him and believes that he died and rose again for them, the Bible teaches that veil is lifted, that God removes the veil, the cloud, when a sinner turns by faith to the Lord Jesus. It is only in Christ the veil is lifted. So I want to challenge you, if you've trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you had that moment where the, it felt like the scales fell off the eyes, and you felt like, I can see clearly. Anybody can relate to that one at all? Yeah. So if you're in that place, don't ever look down on those who have the veil still covering their eyes. It is by God's grace that as we look to Jesus, we have the veil lifted, and we as believers can kind of uh, build this posture of superiority. We can actually say, 
dumb such and such. They don't get it. It is by God's grace and his work in our life that the veil is taken away. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus and believing that the veil is taken away. So you can see it. The first thing under the greatest treasure is knowing the Lord personally. I have it written in there is having the veil lifted by faith in Jesus is a treasure. So maybe today take some time to ponder what a gift that we have the veil lifted through faith in Jesus and we could read God's word and it makes sense to us. That's a gift from the Lord. Let's continue to read in verse 17. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we see in verse 17, the, Spirit brings pre- the Spirit's presence brings freedom. And I got thinking about what makes a person feel free is security. You look at a marriage, and if you want to see a free marriage, there's security. You want to see a free child? There's security. You want to see free people in a country? There's security. The text says, and you can look at it in in 121 or have it written up here. This is what Paul says just the chapter before. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our heart as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So when someone turns to Christ or looks to Jesus and believes that he died and rose again for them, the Bible says the Spirit of God takes up residence in their body. And according to 121 here, the Spirit sets a seal of ownership guaranteeing what's to come. That's called security. And when we have the Holy Spirit inside securing our salvation... According to verse 17, the Spirit's presence brings freedom. And additionally, when we yield to the Spirit, we're not yielding to the Old Testament law. We don't have to abide by a bunch of rules and regulations. We have to walk and keep in step with the Spirit. That's Galatians 5. So being secure in Christ, having the joy of being in step with the Spirit, not a list of rules, friends, that is a treasure. And then we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says this in verse, uh, let me get there. In verse 18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory were being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So according to verse 18, as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and his glory, we get transformed and start looking and acting and smelling more like the Lord Jesus. The Bible, he says, uses this word transformed, and we get transformed by the renewing of our mind. So according to verse 18, is as we fix our eyes on the Lord, we have the wonderful privilege to be able to look back and say, I'm not the same person I used to be. Praise God. So we have the joy of looking more like Jesus as we fix our eyes on him. Friends, that is a treasure. And then as we look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4, we're going to see what Paul claims here. He says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. 
On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they, they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as, our, as your servants for Jesus' sake. So in verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I teach the gospel plainly and clearly because people are, have veiled faces. He actually is talking to church at Corinth. He's referred to what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15. You hear us repeat this all the time. We repeat this all the time because the Bible doesn't leave it up to us to make up what the gospel is. But 1 Corinthians 15, he says it. This is the, the gospel in which you have to take your stand that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and he appeared to many witnesses. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. So he says that is the gospel and we're proclaiming it in verse, um, in verse 2, setting forth the truth plainly, for we do not preach ourselves, verse 5, we do not preach, it's not from ourselves, but from Jesus Christ, and ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ. So he picks it up in verse 6, and he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. So according to verse 6, we can know God and experience his light in our hearts by faith or looking to Christ. So, so far, we have this treasure of having the veil lifted by faith in Jesus, having the Holy Spirit placed in our bodies, bringing freedom in the life to come, but also freedom from the law today, we have the privilege and the treasure of being shaped internally to look more like Jesus, even though our bodies are starting to break down as we age. And we have the treasure of knowing God and His glory more fully as we fix our eyes on the Lord. Now in verse 7, he says something pretty unique to us today because we don't think, typically think of treasures in a very uh, mild or meager uh, box or way of carrying it. But he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, it wouldn't have been unusual back then, but you guys have all heard of the person who hides their, hides their, their personal uh, stash at home in the flower. They hide it in somewhere, you know, the most uh, least noticeable place. But particularly, he uses this as an example because you and I all know that when we have a clay pot on our deck and we pull those flowers out in the fall, if we don't pull that clay pot in as the freeze starts happening, about that much water in the bottom of that clay pot and it freezes and what happens? Actually, I thought some years ago, I thought my children were being destructive and breaking all our clay pots and I realized I'm just... I'm just an idiot and didn't get my clay pots emptied inside, right? Super fragile. We've all dropped even ceramic mugs. You drop them and they're broken. There's no survival of those, right? 
he uses this picture in verse 7 that we have this treasure, the wonderful treasure of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit inside, the moving spirit moving in us and guiding us. We have this wonderful treasure in jars of clay. In case we're tempted to ask why, he says it, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So, we have the wonderful privilege as jars of clay to carry on this wonderful treasure. And I've been pondering, how does God get the glory by doing that? Verses 8 through 12 tells us. He says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death's at work in us, but life is at work in you. So according to verses 8 through 12, when we make it through the hard times and suffering, no one's going to say, wow, that person is super strong. If you're living out this treasure, nobody's going to say, Seth is so strong. Mark is so strong. Jeff is so strong. They're going to look at the treasure and see the treasure inside. Because we are a simple clay shell carrying the most miraculous treasure around. And the point is this. Attention doesn't get drawn to the jar of clay. We in America, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but we've got this weird version of Christianity. We have this weird version. It's like this. I get saved because I want to go to heaven, but I don't really want to be with God. And then, I want it to be about me all along the journey, and I want it to be about my happiness and comfort. And Paul actually is saying, is there's no guarantee, well actually there's probably a guarantee, there is going to be hardship and suffering coming, and be ready for it, but how do you get ready for it? He says, the miraculous treasure inside us is revealed that when we live out of Holy Spirit dependence, it says it's expected that we will be hard-pressed, we will be perplexed, confused, there will be persecution, and there is going to be seasons in our life that we are struck down. The miracle is that we are not crushed, we don't live in despair, we aren't abandoned, we are not abandoned, friends, and we are not destroyed. So if you are a born-again Christian, you have the wonderful treasure living inside your body called the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. Friends, do not despair over life itself. Why not despair? Because in verses 13 and 14, he tells us what the real final treasure is that we have to look forward to. And the clay is not the point. The treasure is. Verses 13 and 14. It's written, And I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believed, and we therefore speak, 
because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That's the hope of the resurrection. Paul says, hey, those who uh, don't know Jesus can mourn and act this way, but those who believe that Jesus died and rose again, you should not mourn like you don't have any hope. There's something else going on, friends. He says that we have the wonderful treasure of the hope of the resurrection. And again, I'm not what you would say old, but as time goes on, I'm becoming more mindful of the resurrection. And I'm becoming more mindful that as I start to feel stuff in my body, I'm looking forward to a resurrected body. Just talk to a person who does not have the hope of the resurrection, who thinks that when you die, you just die. And you'll know what I'm talking about when I say the hope of the resurrection. So God gives us this wonderful treasure of the gospel of grace and his Holy Spirit inside our broken down bodies. And he does it for a reason. Check out in verse 15 and 16 and 17. We'll finish it here. It says this, All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So most of the time when we think of treasures, we think of it as mine. The purpose of this treasure of having our sins forgiven, turning to Christ, having the veil lifted, having a relationship with God through Jesus, the Spirit of God inside, becoming more like Jesus over time. The purpose of all of this is so that this gospel of grace reaches more and more people. The reason God doesn't take you to be with him immediately after you come to faith in him is so that you can share this treasure with more people, extend that grace to more and more people, and as a result, more and more people come to believe in Jesus, and as a result, there's more thanksgiving brimming over the top, and God gets the glory. It's so interesting. Mary treasured up all these things, and what did the shepherds do? They returned glorifying and praising God. Here in this text, as we recognize the treasure God's given us, it's the result in thanksgiving and glory or praise to God. So to end our time here, what's really cool is verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart when the hard things come. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. So our inner man can be renewed while our outside bodies are breaking down. That is a treasure, friends. So let's interpret this. What is Paul trying to really get to his audience? What is he telling them this? There is no guarantee of your future being free from pain or suffering. Anybody who sells you something otherwise is lying to you. There's no guarantee of a future being free from pain or suffering. And I believe he wants his audience here in Corinthians to understand that the God's gospel treasure in them is primarily about 
putting his glory on display so that more people can come to faith in Jesus and that Thanksgiving can brim over and he can receive the glory. So, our treasure is not for us alone, but it's to be shared. So let's apply it. God is the greatest treasure, friends. We are fragile, weak clay. Today, God's using Sid, Nathan, and Seth to preach and teach. There'll be somebody else after us. It's not about us. There's a group of guys on the elder board that are here today. It's not about them. There'll be somebody else coming behind them. You as believers are seeking to grow in faith, advance the gospel, and disciple people. If the Lord tarries, you will pass on and be with him through faith in Christ. And there'll be somebody else behind you. It's not about us. It's about him. God is the greatest treasure. We are fragile, weak clay. And as we find our value by having him inside, he gets the glory and more and more people are reached. So, with that, I want to close with some questions for you. What if you started thinking about your treasure or considering your treasure God's work in and through and around you? It might ease your anxieties when life is happening and you can't control it. What if you started seeing the things that caused you to trust the Lord as treasures from the Lord? And I'm just going to get real honest. Struggling children, parents, that is something that causes you to trust the Lord. Finances, loss of a job, health issues. What if the things that causes us to trust the Lord in a deep way, and we as a result then see God come through and show himself faithful, are one of our greatest treasures. It might change the way we process life. Secondly, if we truly believe that Christ in my life is the greatest treasure of all, what difference would it make? It is time to grow up, friends. Mature treasures are not gold, bank accounts, investments, houses, properties, and stuff. In fact, I challenge you with this. People matter, but there's treasures that are far better than even other people, and that is Christ himself. So we see today that people matter to God. He sent his greatest treasure. We see that God working in and through us is an unbelievable treasure. But our absolute most valuable treasure is Christ himself and Christ living and moving in our body. I want to close with this verse. I want to end it with this because this is where I I was reading about treasures and stuff and God was teaching me. And over the last week, this is where God was actually, I was in, I'm in Colossians. And the Lord just revealed himself to me. It was so encouraging. Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, check this out, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, the way we bring glory to God, the way we live out this treasure, is spending our time seeking to know and experience and believe and know more fully what is it what does it mean who Christ is what he's done 
and what he continues to do in my life and body. You will never get to the bottom of the wealth of knowing Christ. I assure you, this week I had that moment in my office where I was saying, Lord, I don't feel like I hardly know you. I feel like I'm just starting. And if you feel like that, you're in good place. Because we've got an unsearchable treasure. A treasure that cannot be understood, found in Christ. So to close with this, what are you treasuring? God at work in your life is a wonderful treasure. And Christ in you, through faith in him, friends, it is the most wonderful treasure of all. So the next time somebody says, how's God at work in your life? You should be treasuring that very valuable relationship and be ready to share what the Lord has done in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, um, for taking me on a journey and renewing my mind about treasures. Lord, I acknowledge that um, through idolatry there have been seasons in my life where I value stuff over you and people. And Lord, thank you for taking me on this recent journey of looking back over the last 15, 20 years and treasuring those very precious moments where I've had to trust you and you've come through and shown yourself faithful. Lord, there's still areas that I'm trusting you that I have not seen you come through and I treasure those as well. Lord, as a church family, may we never grow tired of searching your word and never grow tired of searching who Christ is, what he's done, and our union with him through faith. I pray that we would never grow weary. Lord, I pray that as we experience hardship, through your spirit, you would give us the strength to endure so that when people look at us, they say, wow, Christ is amazing. May we be that type of Christian that points people to you and not to us. We treasure you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.